Beauty of the World is our new mini-series that focuses on world and regional beauty concepts. In each episode, we'll be joined by a key opinion leader to discuss local attitudes to beauty, cultural tastes, and explore how the key aesthetic markets around the world differ. We'll also learn how to approach, respect, and treat different skin tones and racial features, celebrating the amazing diversity of our faces and skin. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Good morning, Aman, all the way in Sweden. How are you today? I am very well. Good morning and good evening to you, guys. How are you? How are you doing? Well, well, we need to be more sensitive of the um, time zone differences, but we're very well. Thank you. Thanks for joining us again. I was just saying to Jake, we had you back uh, during, we had you back in for episode, what was it, 63? 67. 67, um, when we were talking about um, COVID protocols with Dr. Kapoor. And um, yeah, there's been a lot of episodes and time that's gone between now and then, but we're glad to have you back. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. It is a pleasure for me. And thank you for coming in on your day off as well. I gather that you're not actually working today, but you are in your clinic today just for us. So thank you. We, we are very, very grateful for that. So t- tell us very quickly what's been happening uh, with your Christmas break. What have you been up to? Well, I have been having a, f- a few days off with my family. I've been going to the west coast of Sweden and we've been playing in the snow. We've been going for long walks in the forest, eating well, too well, maybe. <laughs> and, and yeah, just enjoying ourselves. And how was, how was your Christmas, Jake and David? Well, mine was pretty relaxed, very chilled, just the four of us at home. Uh, same for New Year, just very, very sedate in bed by about <laughs> 11 o'clock. Um, but it was nice. Wow. It was, yeah, it's nice to get <laughs> yeah. some, uh, some rest and um, just spend some time with the kids. How about you, David? We had, um, we had uh, well, my mom's family um, was, pro- was Protestant and my dad's family is Jewish. So we had oh. Jewish Jewish Christmas, which involves going and getting all the presents when the sales are on, <laughs> on the 26th and the 27th. And then we have Christmas on the 28th. Wow. So we, we're like sort of celebrating both religions at the same time, respecting the customs of, bo- of both uh, sides of the family. So it worked well. Did you have a kosher turkey? Very smart. <laughs> had a kosher hamburger, a kosher ham. Okay. <laughs> that's great. That's excellent. It's actually the same in my family. We have mixed backgrounds. So we're taking the bits and pieces that we like from all cultures, all cultures. I think it's the best way to go. And actually it's relevant to our talk today. So um, why don't you introduce to the guests who maybe missed episode 67, but I highly recommend going back because obviously with everything happening around the world and COVID, but tell us about your own practice, Iman, um, how you got into injectables and, uh, and where you are today. Well, it, um, it was actually like a series of events that made me interested in starting with working within the beauty industry. But uh, I actually started as an, um, working as an intern uh, in psychiatry. Right. And then I shifted to uh, anesthesia, uh, working within anesthesiology and intensive care for six years. And um, alongside, I was trying to build my, my company my beauty company, uh, my Rebel Clinic. And um, so quite like a rocky road and to where I am today. But today I'm working full-time at my clinic. I have my employees, I have a nurse, and I have skin therapists. And I work um, with injectable treatments mainly. And I also, as you know, Jake, I do a lot of lecturing and traveling um, talking about facial beauty, anatomy, safety, and consultation, and how to be successful within this industry. 
And that's how we became friends and here we are on podcast together. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and why it's a, did... It's a global network, really, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. It's great and it's always an opportunity to learn off each other and uh, hopefully we'll showcase something different tonight. Um, why did you choose to get into injectables, um, particularly after doing something like anaesthetics? Well, um, coincidences um, and also interest for beauty, as I as I mentioned. So uh, once it was when I was an intern, I went to, to get my facial at a beauty spa, and uh, one of the skin therapists she asked me if I what I was doing for for a living, and I told her I was a doctor. And then she asked me, "Well, do you do injectables?" I'm like, "No, I don't," <laughs> uh, but. I was like very open-minded and I thought, well, maybe I can start doing that if you're, if you're keen on getting someone to do injectable here at your spa because um, a very well-known clinic and they were searching for an injector at the time. And this was back in 2010. So I thought, well, why not just sign up for a course and I'll be back here and do these injectable treatments for you. <laughs> so I took a course and uh, when I was ready to apply for a job there, they said, well, no, we don't want you here. We want someone with more experience. So I was like, okay, screw that. I'll just do my own thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I started my own company in 2011. So we, we became competitors instead. And um, well, I think they might regret what they did back in the day. <laughs> yeah, they cr they created their own competition. <laughs> yeah, but very it's, good it's competition quite, quite as funny well. Funny how how things like evolve. Yeah, reminds me of the um, and I, Jake's heard this story a million times, but I'm going to say it again. It reminds me of the stories when you hear people like Kodak, who had someone working for them that invented the digital photo who came to them and said, hey, I think this might be a great idea. And they laughed him out of the room. Yeah. Um, that didn't yeah. go so well for Kodak. So, <laughs> <laughs> But sometimes you need um, like some hurdles, some obstacles to push you in the right direction. And maybe I just needed that to start building my own company. Yeah. And um, we're going to get, I've got some business questions for you at the end. We're obviously going to talk about the main topic, which Jake's going to lead into in a second, but you mentioned a, a rocky road and um, all the challenges that go along with starting a business. So I'm keen to pick your brain as we get to the end of this um, discussion about having a further chat with you about that. But um, anyway, take it away, Jake. Tell us all about beauty of the world. Well, the, welcome everyone to episode three of our mini series, The Beauty of the World. And today we've got our key opinion leader all the way from Sweden. And um, I guess originally we, we decided we were going to focus on a whole continent, which was Europe. And then we realized that's kind of crazy to try and, you know, talk about uh, 45, 55 countries. So we, we've zoomed into Scandinavia and particularly Sweden, obviously where Amman is from. But we'll try and talk about um, some, you know, European beauty ideals. And of course, I guess the Caucasian race, that's sort of, I guess, the major racial group um, there. But we can talk about, you know, um, immigration and a few other things if that is... Um, you know, if that's, if that's worthwhile talking about as well. So, Iman, tell us about your own kind of practice in Sweden. What's it like? Um, you know, what sort of people are you seeing and all of that? So, the majority of people in Sweden are Swedish, they are Caucasian, and they're white. And um, in my practice, um, what I see most uh, are women. They are in the range, like, of age, well, 25 to up to all the way up to 84 actually wow 84 so i have yeah so i have two 84 year old ladies i love them <laughs> and uh, do they come together and uh, sorry do they come together 
No, they don't actually. <laughs> it would be quite nice to have them together, but um, no. But uh, so, so female in middle age uh, is the like the biggest chunk of my patient group, and um, yeah, I ha- of course have people of different ethnicities coming in. So I see a lot of Middle Eastern, Asian, some African like quite diverse group of patients as well but the majority is definitely vegan yeah and one of the difficulties with planning this podcast and david and i were sort of scratching ahead of how to do this we well i found europe the hardest one to plan because i am european and i am caucasian and there are a lot of assumptions that i make as an injector and you know just thinking about race and and skin tone because that's me so i just think it's normal um and, yeah. and clearly it's not and it's you know one of the reasons why i asked you to come on particularly not just because you're an amazing injector but you also come from a different background so um you know and then when you look at europe it's made up of so many kind of i guess um inverted commas peoples but they're all, yeah. all, all Caucasian sort of, I guess, superficially. And yet, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's very difficult to define what does that even mean, Caucasian? You, you know, yeah. if you're from Iceland, are, are you, you know, are you going to approach them the same as someone from Serbia? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they might have different no. cultural and, and sort of local ideals anyway. So, yeah, yeah so it's interesting. So maybe tell us where... Yeah, where no, I, oh, sorry, go on, one. I just, I, it's really interesting. I actually looked up the word Caucasian and... It was established in the late 1700s by a few German dudes. Of course, they were dudes, right? <laughs> and, and they were thinking like, let's let's have some fun and divide the humankind into three big categories. Mm. So they, is of course one race, and then the Negroid race, and then uh, the third race was, was um, Mongolian or, or something. I don't know how to pronounce it. Well, Mongolian yes. race, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and the Caucasian race was well. well the the structure that they did were based on skeletal str- like skeletal uh, shape and proportions and like how it differed were were structural. Yeah. So it was biologic anthropology, mm. and. When we're looking at the Caucasian race, if you like to call it that, um, it was actually quite wide and it did not consider the skin tone. Yeah. So in by that definition, I am Caucasian. Interesting. Because the East African horn, we look more similar to some East, Middle Eastern or even European Features we have quite similar features, so to speak, yeah. um, and based on these classifications that they made up in the 1700s, um, I'm considered to be Caucasian. Mm. Oh, interesting. And then I, I guess we're also yeah. seeing with um, travel and immigration, we're obviously getting a lot of like people who are marrying people or getting together with people from different races, and now you're getting these hybrids as well. Where how do you define that? You know, even Jake and I, even yeah. though we look Caucasian, like my mum's family's from one side of the world, my dad's family's from the other, yeah. there's some Middle Eastern blood in yeah. there as well. So how do you sort of even start defining that? Because everyone's gen- genetics are now just getting like thrown into a big mixing bowl and we're getting some very sort I, of, yeah. But it's like, do you have to define it? Well, that, Do we have to define it? That was the difficulty of the podcast. Because, an interesting question. Yeah, if, if you try and, you know, pigeonhole everyone into Europe and South of, uh, America and Africa, it, it, it's nonsense, really. But 
as an injector at least, we have to have some principles of how to approach something. Otherwise, we're just making it up as we go along. So at some point, yeah. we have to be flexible, but also have a, a loose framework. Yeah, so I think that we have to respect the anatomy, the structure, the, the natural biological structures that we have and try to work from there uh, rather than concentrating on uh, where your parents are from or where you're born or whatever. So so, so I think that's a good start to begin with. But uh, moving, just like uh, talking a little bit more on the, about the Caucasian, um, nowadays we use the American way of describing, like, uh, sorry, of um, defining Caucasian and that basically means white or European. And it includes, of course, Europe, that, that like the, the big chunk of Europe, as well as uh, parts of Middle East and, and stuff. So they, they are considered to be Caucasian. Um, so that, that's just interesting how things got lost in translation. Yeah, just really. to throw a curveball in there, Britain has just left Europe. So where are the Brits now? <laughs> <laughs> we do not know. <laughs> we will never find out. We're lost, basically. <laughs> I, was, yeah. I was just saying to Jake no. er, earlier, we were, we were um, going through some, uh, well, not, not your questions, particularly we were working on some future podcasts and we were just talking about the mm -hmm. fact that it's amazing how such a small country like the United Kingdom managed to colonise like so much of the world, such a small little, I mean, I think it's like yeah. a Britain would fit with inside New South Wales quite easily and it managed to just yeah. conquer most of, most of the world. It's quite unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's uh, in one way uh, admirable, in one way, but in another way uh, terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and the consequences that we see today are still truly like highly impacting people all around the world yeah um so so we will probably discuss that a little bit later as well not for the first time uh, i apologize uh, yeah. for my race sorry yeah, yeah thanks jake <laughs> no 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 not do that. <laughs> no it, it's just about being aware and i think what really has like what really strikes me when i'm out meeting with intelligent people is that the level of ignorance or the level of not knowing or understanding uh, things or the complexity of beauty and beauty standards and um, understanding what it, how it is of color. And uh, I think uh, we just have to be aware and uh, conscious about that. Yeah. There could be an element of fear there as well. People being too scared to ask or to feel like they should be you know, educating themselves in that way. There, there could be some. There could be some fear involved with that potentially. Oh, okay. That, that that's interesting to hear more about. Yeah, and now, Aman, you sort of touched on the fact that your family's from the East Horn of Africa. Can you just expand on that and tell us, um, you know, your your racial background and and how your family ended up in Sweden? Yes, um, I am originally from Ethiopia. My, my grandmother is from Ethiopia on my father's side. And, um, uh, well, I, I normally say that uh, I'm half Eritrean because mm -hmm. my on my mother's side, they're from Eritrea, which is a small, small country. Um, and it used to be part of Ethiopia. So it's basically the same kind of people, um, brothers and sisters. Um, but um, Eritrea is a quite new, uh, new country. And so Eritrea, Ethiopia. And I've actually done a little bit of digging. I've done a DNA analysis and I found um, East Africa to be extremely like diverse. Mm. So we have, we have genetics, like you know, we have connections to um, Turkey, uh, Iran, uh, the Arab world, like Arab genes. So 
And it's because only simply because of co- colonial, canol- what do you call it? Uh, <laughs> Colonialism. Col- colonization. Uh, colonization. Uh, colonization yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So the Turks have been there, uh, the Ottomans have been there, the Arabs have been there, Italians have been in that region of the world, and uh, they made babies. <laughs> so that deeply impacted the the. The people in and that interestingly, the and a lot of people don't know this, there there was at least up until fairly recently a large Jewish population in Ethiopia. Oh yeah, there was um, yeah there was a huge amount of um, Ethiopian Jews that migrated over to Israel. There was a big I remember learning about it in it was beta. primary school. Yeah, we learned about this. There was yeah. a huge amount of them that came over to, to Israel, and that's why you're getting some you get some very interesting, striking looking Israelis now because you've got that mixing of of, of the genes, and it's yeah, it's very very interesting. Yeah, and uh, so I also noticed that I'm 46% Ethiopian Jew. Oh, there you go. Well, hey, <laughs> so part of the tribe. You there can't you escape it, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's a mixed, it's a like melting pot of, yeah. of ge- genetics, really. Uh, but yeah, so that's my background. But now I live in Sweden and I've lived here for 30 plus years. So I feel extremely Swedish, um, even though I do not look like the majority of people here, <laughs> which, which is quite interesting too, <laughs> to to not look like everybody else. And I hope you don't mind me asking, but do you encounter racism where you are being a, a dominantly white uh, population and also being a cosmetic doctor? Does that ever come up in, in an awkward way? You know what? It The first time I encountered even physical, racially, like abuse um, with racial uh, undertones or not even undertones, it was <laughs> openly racist. I was six years old and I was getting beaten by a big white boy. Mm, wow. <laughs> so it was awful. So it started at that age for me. And even to this day, I do see it and I feel it. And so it's a part of life. Um, unfortunately, but it's a part of life and you, you just have to cope with it when you're in minority. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. And I don't know how to, I don't, I'm certainly not going to excuse this, but does it ever come up in a sort of a less overt way in a cosmetic consultation where people assume that, you know, being not from their background, that, that maybe you don't know what you're talking about? Absolutely. And I actually have a story to tell if you want to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, just a few years ago, I, um, I had a telephone consultation with a woman. She lived hours away from my hometown, but she had like Googled me and she like read about me and she really wanted to come and visit me. So I welcomed her and uh, gave her the address and everything. Everything was great. And uh, she took her time. She traveled three hours, I think. And she came to my clinic and I welcomed her and her daughter and everything was. But then she sits in the waiting room and then she says, you know what? I changed my mind. I don't want to see you. I'm like, right. (laughs) And then she said, well, you don't look like a doctor. (laughs) And I'm like, but we spoke on the phone and you read about me and everything. And then I was trying to understand, like, what is she saying? Uh, But. Uh, the the core of it was that she didn't want to be treated by me because I was black, mm. and I'm like, didn't can it? Couldn't you have Googled a picture <laughs> yeah, well, <that laughs> and is. not waste my time? <laughs> so, by the end of this conversation, I said, well, I'm still going to charge you for my time, and and she actually she said, well, let's do this consultation anyways, and we did it, and she 
after this 45 minutes of talking and discussing, she felt inspired. So she actually went ahead and got a treatment with me. Wow. Which is like breathtaking, to, really, um, like gr- groundbreaking for her, I think. Um, and she was really happy with the results. But her instinct was that I did not look like a doctor and mm. she didn't want me to treat her based on outer appearance and nothing else. That's very, very sad. Um, so so it's it's really interesting. I Even to this day, even though I'm a doctor and it goes, I mean, um, well-known here in my region, um, it, I still get that. Mm. But I'm, I don't want this to become a sad story. I'm, I'm just, um, I just want to, like, say it's interesting, and but we can work around it because I still manage to, like, not lose my head over it and try to be collected and calm and collected, and just show her my professionalism. Well, hats off to you, because I've seen this happen in hospital uh, many, many times in in various ways. Uh, Also religions and and doctors who are not what the patient wants. And I think a doctor's in their rights to say, do you know what, Um, that's the end of the consultation uh, from my side. And I'm not going to continue to treat you as well. Uh, yeah, and I, I, that was my instinct too, that I was uh, being pissed off. I was hurt. Number one, I was hurt. And then I was be professional and just show what we like, what we can do um, mm. uh, despite our color. <laughs> and, um, and that is a winning concept, I think. And, and I think that she may have, have had like a wake-up call to her own conflicts or her own issues yeah. and I, maybe she taught i taught her a lesson i hope so i i hope so at yeah, least well that's great it's a good story and what is the patient and demographic makeup of sweden i was doing some reading and apparently it's quite a high immigrant population about a quarter of the population is some sort of um immigrant background which is quite amazing really because we always have the stereotype and i was going to ask you in our questions if are swedes basically blonde and blue-eyed that that's sort of a joke but we we kind mm. of think that's true as well yeah you well, think um viking yeah. when you think about sweden yeah well, exactly the well, vikings yes well, aren't vikings from norway you know what, I thought, it, it, well they conquered that whole sort of region they're from they? iceland and yeah most vikings are uh, actually associated with iceland but but it's true that it's around 25 percent but the big chunk the majority of immigrants are the number one country is finland mm-hmm. second and third are norway and denmark so um, so sweden have been since second or even first world war a country when you where you immigrate to mm-hmm. and and uh, it's because it's a stable country well it actually used to be a very country so they had a lot of labor immigration especially from Finland uh, on the in the early 1900s so they paid they begged and prayed and like paid the Finnish people to come here and work um, in in Sweden because um, a lot of Swedish people were like they were traveling to the UK and to to the US um, back in the back in the days but um, so Sweden had have always been an immigrant country, uh, but mainly from the neighboring countries. So they are still blonde and white and look very Swedish. Yeah. And then, of course, we have um, countries like like Poland, Germany, and especially after the Second World War, uh, we have a lot of um, 
the Polish people and German people, as well as from Iran uh, and from Iraq and Syria after the the last war, mm. the the war in the civil war in uh, Syria, of course. So in the the past years, we've had a lot of uh, Middle Eastern uh, refugees as well here in Sweden. Yeah, fair mm. enough. So mm. in terms of who is influencing the way that people um, want to look or you know, we all look up to someone in terms of aspiring people look at their Instagram feed, they look at uh, reality TV and, and Hollywood. Who are the people in Sweden that are sort of the influencers that are sort of dictating what young people want to aspire to look like these days? I would say that there is a big influence of from the neighboring countries. So this thing, this thing called Scandi Chic or Scandi Style so it's Scandinavian style and mm. it's very, when it comes to fashion and design and interior design and um, so th- things like that. Um, so it's quite um, like uh, local, so to speak. Um, and what do you think about when you think about Scandinavian style or I, beauty? I think of Ikea. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Meatballs. yeah. Simplicity. Um, simplicity. Yes, simplicity. Affordability. Practical. Um, I think of yeah. um, not much. I think about, yeah, simply like not much clutter. I think like strong, like, you know, tonal colors. Woods. Yeah. Natural. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. No frills. Exactly. Just... You, re- you really nailed this. And um, because sweets love simple sleek lines not too many fluff like like not too much fluff and colors or crazy designs um and earthy colors black is the go-to color um beige white marine like very simple ones not too printed when we when we're talking about like fashion for instance and um uh, when it comes to beauty um it kind of um, like the simplicity of fashion and makeup is incorporated into the beauty ideals as well. So they want simplicity and nothing too crazy. Yeah. But I think to, in today's world, uh, when we have social media as our main source of influence, um, I think the the cultural differences between many countries all around the world has kind of faded. And um, I think both in Australia and wherever you may may live, I think your influence is mainly social media and the big accounts, which are mainly American. Yeah, am I am I wrong? Do you think or no? That's at least my absor- observation. Observation. I think, I think you're spot on. I mean, I, I think you know, inverted commas, Western countries, they've all kind of blurred into much of a muchness. Um, I think Isolde had a a couple of sort of interesting things to say about local influences and people going back to their African roots and celebrating, you know, things like their their natural hair, etc. But I think in in, in countries like Australia and and the UK, they're basically the same. Very similar cultures. So so I think... Like to just name a few things, people, young people here, especially young people, they are they're looking at the trends of Kim Kardashian mm. and um, the supermodels that have big Instagram accounts, basically, or YouTube accounts. Yeah. Um, the beauty influencers that are big there are uh, are something that young people aspire to look like or be like uh, here. Yeah. And it's also the thing like how do you even like define beauty standards? Um 
that's a question to you guys. Like, have <laughs> you talked you about define? that with with the with the others, with other doctors? What do you mean by beauty standards? You mean like what's classically considered beautiful, or in terms of what's on fashion or in vogue? Or like what? what people aspire to, like beauty when it comes to beauty, face and body. How do you define it? I mean, I think that it wasn't, you were you were not prepared. You were not prepared. Hey, for this we, one. we we asked the questions here, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, okay no, I'll I, take that back. I'm, I'm happy to have a, I'm happy to have a go at it. Um, social media things like Instagram have it's a double edged sword because I think that in on one hand, and we've discussed this before, is that in some ways it sets people up to feel they have to look and and sort of dress and and be a certain way. Sometimes people are comparing themselves to photos that aren't real or, or filtered. But I think in some, in some ways it might help people identify with people who have similar bone structures to them, come from um, similar ethnic backgrounds who they, they can aspire to go, well, that's, you know, according to my, the way that I naturally look, that's that what I should aspire to be like. So I think maybe it gives people the opportunity to identify with people on a, on a more global scale. Yeah, yeah. I concur. I totally yeah. agree. Sorry, so you think so too, Jake? No, I do. I mean, and and this gets to the core of these uh, the mini series of these podcasts because how and what is a beauty standard? What is a concept of beauty? What is race? Uh, all these questions are actually quite difficult to pin down when you actually really, really think about it. And and you said yourself, Iman, if you mm-hmm. if you take those um, definitions literally, you could be European. I think you said or Caucasian. It's Caucasian. So yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it, it, it's actually really, really difficult. And um, I think what we're going to find, or we have already found, in sort of two and a half podcasts that um, you really just need to treat everyone bespokely, respect their anatomy for what they are, have some core mm-hmm. principles, obviously, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, freestyling or have the capacity to freestyle as an injector or as a, uh, you know, fashion designer or whatever you're doing within the beauty and aesthetic world because the, the, you can't pigeonhole people. It's silly. You know, like in terms of you said, um, obviously I'm a minority in Sweden. I don't know how many Ethiopian people are in Sweden, but I mean, before social media, you might not be, might not have been able to identify, with, you know, with with someone that's from your background. Whereas now, you know, living in a country where you are a minority, that being able to then cop onto somewhere like Instagram and see people who you can go, wow, I, I can sort of relate to that. So maybe, you know, maybe there's some good out of, out of these things as well. Absolutely. And I think that we have to be very grateful for how technology social media has have have evolved over the years because looking back even to when i was young which is not that long far ago uh no, still looks young, <laughs> it's <man>. actually <laughs> like looking at like television looking at television uh, there were there was no representation of somebody that looked like me. And we have, in Sweden, we have something which is actually very problematic. And it is um, like even, um, well, what, for instance, whitewashing, that's a very common thing. I think it's a actually global thing. Uh, so magazines and um, like the big companies, they are using, uh, if they are using somebody of color, like people, people of color to on the covers, they are doing whitewashing. Do you know what that is? No, by what the way? is it? So, for instance, if we take um, Beyonce, she has been on covers, on many, many covers all around the world. But if you really analyze the photos of her in many countries, for instance, if you see a cover of her in, in Europe, she's probably being whitewashed, meaning it's not only that they edit 
um, so that her nose look a little bit narrower or that her facial shape is a little bit like not perfected only to beauty ideals, but it's beauty ideals which are out of her and uh, her skin tone is probably a few shades lighter mm. and just to fit a wider audience because if she looks less black she's more appealing to even white people or other people and so so this is whitewashing and it is very well known phenomenon and um, it, it is problematic that's uh, really interesting. Um, and actually, funny you mentioned Beyonce, because when we were researching our episode for Africa, we didn't actually talk about this in the end, but she um, did an album a few years ago where she sort of celebrated African culture and black culture particularly. And she had a bit of a, yeah. bit of a backlash from the black community because they felt like she was jumping on their bandwagon when she's not really from Africa. She's American. And so exactly. you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Um, who knows whether she had control of the whitewashing. It's it's such a difficult um, difficult question, isn't it? Difficult, difficult topic, really. Yeah, and it is a sensitive topic. But um, what I want to celebrate with today's media, in a way, is that, of course, there are there are problematic um, like issues, even mental health issues with like looking too much um, and going to social media for inspiration all the time. Uh, but, uh, but as David mentioned, the diversity is, is there. And um, I think a lot of subcultures are growing and movements are growing and more visible. They're, they're more visible uh, today compared to, 20 years ago mm. so there's always something for everybody yeah so you can you can relate to something and you can find something that will suit you which is uh, amazing back in the days um it was the big fashion houses or like those who run who ran television who decided what is in what is hot what is not mm -hmm. and that has shifted um only in the few like the last decade yeah yeah, and when you're talking about beauty, we also have to, I think, address um, not only like talking about beauty standards. There are cultural, um, there are um, like accidents, like beauty trends happen by accident sometimes. And um, they may be driven by technology or by economic. Um, and then we have the, the other group, uh, like, well, more beauty standards and biology i think um, and what we perceive as being beautiful uh, which has more connection to um, biological health and reproductive reproductive success mm. uh, and genetic stability etc we've mentioned it before about the caucasian sort of beauty standard i mean yeah. again try not to stereotype but but sometimes we have to when, when we're sort of in a teaching sort of setting, for example, we, we need to teach some principles. So what's your understanding yeah. of, you know, an approach to inverted commas, the Caucasian patient when you're in your injectable room, for example? Yeah. So the Caucasian patient, of course, is white, have pretty, well, now I'm talking specifically, well, more, more towards uh, females because that is the majority of, of my patients, mm -hmm. right? So, um, and pretty high cheekbones, um, maybe not as a prominent lower facial structure as um, 
some Asian patients have. So they have narrow faces, uh, lower faces, uh, pretty thin lips, and um, and their skin, of course, is is one of the things that I work a lot with. And it, the, the skin is quite sensitive. And in pe- here in Sweden and Scandinavia in general, people love to tan. They yeah. love to look sun-kissed. So people do not pay a lot of attention, not, not too much attention or not enough attention to sun protection. Yeah. So what I see uh, in my practice is uh, middle-aged women with often great cheekbones, but they have sun damage because in the 80s and 60s, 70s, 70s, no, 70s and 80s and 90s, everybody was having like sunbed sessions several times a week yeah. uh, even. And uh, so sun damage is a huge thing. And uh, skin wrinkling is, starts quite So I like to address or we like to address skin-related issues such as wrinkling and sagging. And this is probably a lot earlier than, than in the southern parts of Europe uh, or other continents of the world because do not protect their skin um, properly. Hmm. What do you think about the um, the lip ratio of uh, one to one or gosh? One to one point one six. One to one point one six. What is that ratio actually from? Is that something that's just been so? Well, well you can maybe tell us about it, Mark. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and in terms of you think it's like, yeah, do you think it's too simplistic when we look at different faces? I mean, let alone just the difference in Caucasian faces. But when you've got you know again large immigrant population and people moving all around the world, do you think we're looking at it? too simplistically? I think uh, the golden ratio um, is, is a great tool to use um, when describing to our patients uh, about what we like, strive for, what we are trying to create so, nothing, so things are not getting out of proportion. Uh, and we don't only use this number. We use uh, angles and other measurements to, to deliver great results. But it is too simplistic. Uh, and um, it's not, you cannot apply it to, not even to a lot of Swedish, Scandinavian people, because it will look abnormal. Yeah. Um, However, um, it is a great tool to, to like, to as as education maybe. Yeah. Let's put it that way. As a starting point, perhaps. Uh, so that mm. yeah, as a starting point, and and because I think that we have an innate ability to see and appreciate beauty, and we as injectors, we as aesthetic practitioners, we we kind of perfected that skill to see, okay, we need to perfect this or we need to enhance this or we need to shorten this in order to make it look better. And um, so we can use this golden ratio as a tool to explain to our patients without getting too anatomical, I think. Lips are a, a very common treatment probably for most injectors, but particularly here in Australia. And, you know, our 20 to 30-year-old patient sort of uh, demographic have for whatever reason and, and presumably it is social media and and local trends uh, the 50 50 sort of lip is quite normal uh, should i say for an, an injected lip not not a natural lip and um it's almost become the, the abnormal has become the norm it's 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 strange i think the the the, the thing that you were talking uh, mentioned here 
uh, Jake, is is really um, an interesting phenomenon because we are seeing more and more injected faces. And what isn't normal is considered to be the norm. Mm. And um, this is something that I really, I'm really working hard uh, on, on this because I think it's so wrong that we are not uh, unnatural looking results. Mm. And who is to blame for this? It's actually injectors. Yeah. Mm. And uh, and uh, because we are the ones to blame, I think. And well, we can blame social media, but who is social media? Yeah, it's the people we pumping out the before and afters. Media too. Yeah. <laughs> we we are the people, <laughs> so we cannot blame somebody else. <laughs> we cannot blame society because we are the society, right? So um, overtreated and not natural looking results are being normalized. And um, we, I think we have to step back a little bit. Um, in Sweden, it was even a huge thing back in 2010 to have a big, um, enormous upper lip mm. and not even treating the, the lower lip. Oh. It looked ridiculous. That was a big, big trend. Mm. And, and I remember I, I treated young, beautiful girls amazing but they just wanted the upper lip treated and i did that because that was what people wanted and i thought hey i'm going to give it to them and now looking back at those pictures i feel embarrassed to yeah. be honest because that i just delivered not what they needed mm -hmm. um i was going to say that we talk about the one to 1.6 uh, ratio and the lips in, re in relation to one another but maybe there needs to be a ratio for features in in relation to each other so your lips to the size of your face or your nose or your cheekbones it seems like if we're looking at all these features in isolation we're not looking or taking into account the overall shape of the face and the and, the, and how these features relate to each other very good yeah this is also a thing since it's a huge thing with having big lips in sweden and i'm sure it's internationally it's not even it's not only here um beautiful white um, women are having are walking around with huge lips uh, which doesn't even always fit their faces mm. because they are aspiring to have somebody else's traits and um this i don't know if you've read about this topic but about um i mentioned uh, whitewashing previously but uh, the thing called um, uh, black fishing yeah so so white women uh, having features of black women yeah. uh, that is basically taking features like big asses or some <laughs> maybe big bottoms <laughs> and um, uh, like high, super high cheekbones and um, even long nails is associated with black culture um, and like different type of braids and they white women are using this i'm not saying i mean it's not very 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 common in sweden i'm just saying that this is a trend and it has had a lot of like um, attention and um, uh, lately and have you seen this in australia yeah definitely i mean i don't think people would have categorized it as that but when you think about it you know people's body shape here particularly the bbl is huge yeah. very no, very huge no particularly here in in the eastern suburbs of cindy where it's very beach culture people in their bikinis yeah. the whole time and pe people down the gym all the time doing their squats for their booty and it's just a really desirable thing to have that body shape but but then we obviously the injectors are delivering more of a 50 50 um ratio lip 
Uh, like you say, yeah. um, fashion trends sort of augment that further. And yeah, I've never really thought about it that way. But I, I did read an article that Rhiannon, or sorry, Rihanna was was sort of one of the early influences of white women wanting to look more black, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. So, um, and I know this is a bit offensive to some people, but um, it's it's just a phenomenon uh, which is I think we have to be aware of this and understand why is this even a problem? Why is why is this um, considered to be offensive mm. to specifically like? black women it is because uh, black women have always been uh, ridiculed or they have been uh, being like like ridiculed for their features and uh, it has been unprofessional to have um, box braids for instance but when kim kardashian a white woman has it then she is considered to be cool and trendy and edgy and, and like so they're taking features uh, out of their ethnicity or whatever uh, race and, and making it cool and uh, it uh, instead of the original ones the black women are not profiting out of it so so to speak and the same thing goes for the fox eye trend mm. it's highly highly offensive to many asian people and i've had a few asian people here uh, Asian patients, I mean, and uh, they think it's very problematic. Interesting. White women, especially white women, uh, some men as well, uh, they are aspiring to have this fox eye trance thanks to Bella Hadid, who made it, she made it popular. Yeah. She made it um, a thing, a trend, a current trend. So uh, she's picking up a few things. I don't know if she's had surgery, if it's just clever makeup or whatever it is, or thread lifts. Um, and she's taking this trait, which many Asians have been ridiculed for, mm. and making it popular. And now I've had, even a few weeks ago, I had a young woman, a young woman asking me to do something about uh, so she could recreate that kind of look. And I said, no, sorry, I'm not going to do that for you. But I didn't go into depth explaining the the problematic history of it yeah. i just explained uh, the medical like why it might be not a, like a great idea because that is a trend and maybe in a few years time you will not be mm. as it will not be a trend anymore what do you think about the the dynamic of male to female sort of proportions when it comes to injectables? Um, there's sort of a trend now where women want to have more augmented looking lower faces, more um, sort of structured jawlines, which is not typically feminine. And, and that particularly seems to be for, certainly in my case, the Caucasian sort of patient that comes in and wants to have a highly augmented look to go with the cheeks, to go with the lips. I think this is again like I am a my philosophy around uh, aesthetics is that I want to enhance the natural beauty. So if I have somebody who has had a prominent mandibular angle, of course I'm going to be able to recreate it and like it will look nice because that is just restore restoration basically. Mm. But we cannot look in trends in isolation, just like David uh, mentioned, like having huge lips on a small face. It looks ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It doesn't look natural um, unless you're born with it. Then it might look cool. <laughs> right. So 
so the same thing goes for uh, the lower face thing. Like a few years ago, everybody was asking me for the Texas jawline and like having a super angular, strong jawline. And yes, we do that. Like we, we can um, like make it a little bit stronger, but not to the degree that it looks like a box yeah. if you're a woman mm-hmm. because it looks unnatural. Where do you think that's come from? Why are women asking for it? You know, a lot of women do look at people like beautiful, beautiful people like Angelina Jolie. She's a classical example of this. She yeah. has a very strong lower jaw, uh, lower face, but she ha- is super feminine. She has high cheekbones. She has nice lips. She has big eyes. She has a very feminine, like she's hyper feminine, and she can she can have that natural naturally strong jawline it doesn't overpower her female beauty mm-hmm. because it's natural to her or, or maybe not 100% natural but you know <laughs> you get my point yeah. and so so yes we look at i think people look at beautiful beautiful people and they say can you can i have this i want this yeah. but we just have to bring it back to again natural beauty and the structure look at the anatomy as injectors and try to work from there that's my philosophy at least i think um when you look at the, these sorts of trends we we tend to as as just a as a as a as a species we tend to go too far before we realize we've gone too far and come back and i think even these conversations that we're having now where injectors are starting to become aware look maybe i'm not doing the best thing for my patient by actually administering these treatments. You know, these discussions are happening. Yeah. You're starting to realize you're starting to push back and maybe this is part of, as part of the process is, you know, things will eventually return to some kind of normality once we actually become aware that we have a problem. And I think that's starting to happen by these sorts of conversations. Mm. And you, Jake, do, do you deliver that kind of jawline for on a female if it's not like – if she asks for it, asks for it, and uh, she doesn't have it, how do you manage that kind of patient? No, I'm the same as you, really. I mean, you know, you take every face as it comes, their wants, their needs. You try and bridge those to some extent, but it, if it doesn't fit the ratios, then of course you're not going to do it because they're a walking advert of your work, and people are going to see that. So, yeah. you know, it's just an education thing. It's a good consultation, taking good photos, uh, making them understand what is possible, what is achievable, and and why you should or shouldn't do certain treatments. So, I think most patients get it once you get some really good before photos, and and yeah. you sort of talk to them about you know anatomy and and what is normal and what you could do and what you should do and, and there are two different things then um then you know most of my patients understand and if they don't then then i won't treat them mm. it burns me um, that um we had a, a, a wonderful nurse on our podcast a few months ago anita east who um shout out to anita um who released a book called i get the, got this wrong at the time it's called unique beautiful faces unique beautiful faces and um we had a wonderful chat with her if you mind you haven't listened to it maybe maybe a good one to have a listen to but she's talking about the way that she approaches treating patients which is to identify what is naturally beautiful about someone's face what is it their features is it their eyes is it their nose is it their jawline is it what is it that makes them an individual and then tailoring the mm-hmm. treatment around what makes them naturally look the way that they are enhancing that rather than trying to make us all look the same or looking to achieve things that do not work with this, like the dynamics of our face and our features. I love that. That I think everybody, everybody should read that. All patients even. Yeah. There you go, Anita, you're going to sell more books yeah. now. 
yeah. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, but it, it's. I think we we have to go back to to nature sometimes. Just to take a step back, so we don't get caught up in a circus, really. Yeah. Now, a couple more questions before we move into the sort of the the juicy injectable market questions. Um, have yeah. you ever? I know you've taught around Europe and you've injected in a few countries, and I know you've lectured in Serbia and a few other places. Have you ever been to a country where the the aesthetic sort of ideals surprised you, or or something was more unusual to to, to your own taste? Um, I would say not maybe it surprised me but one thing that did surprise me a little bit is actually um how faces age or how how people age mm. <laughs> look at me I'm, I'm i'm just like cutting people off their faces that's the only thing i see <laughs> <laughs> no but um i was recently in in bulgaria uh, and i had um, I, I think we treated 18 patients for th- during these three days that i was there and I'm always trying to assess a patient's age mm-hmm. uh, before they mention it to me. And I was completely off when, because I, I'm quite good at doing it for for the Scandinavian people, because, I mean, obviously I, I've been living here for so long. Yep. Um, but assessing somebody's age uh, is, of course, which looking at signs of aging. And they are so much more protected against i think photo aging specifically and of course they have they they probably have a lot of genetic factors that protect them from uh, specifically from sagging and skin wrinkling so so as i mentioned uh, earlier a lot of scandinavian people have a quite well not aggressive aging but if they're not cautious uh, if they're not looking after their skin um at an early age um and like they will they, they will see wrinkling and sagging quite early um but in bulgaria uh, what i realized that beautiful the, the beautiful women there they had a little bit of stronger jaw bones which is a protectant for for sagging yeah so if you have a strong bone structure both in the cheekbone area as well as in the lower face this will prevent you from early sagging yes and also they have a little bit of a like some of the women had a little bit almost of an olive to, uh, olive skin tone and so they have a little bit more pigment uh, they're not feel like fitzpatrick one or two mm-hmm. they are a little bit darker and this is definitely an, a protective factor so that was one of the things that really surprised me that i was uh, i saw a woman she, i thought she was around 40 like 38 40 and she was over 50 and i was like wow this is so awesome so cool (laughs) and they were like looking at me like are you like as if i couldn't i wasn't able i mean able to do such an easy thing as to assess somebody's age (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that was funny um so that surprised me but when it comes to beauty ideals generally generally speaking um in Europe uh, and in, in Scandinavia, um, being tall, being slim, and today having a little bit of breasts and boob, uh, sorry, and and ass is nice, and <laughs> bigger lips, um, and do prefer blondes. Uh, however, if you're black-haired like me, and uh, and you have like eurocentric features like i do and i really hate that term but uh, when you have features that look 
or resemble European, um, you are actually considered to be very exotic and beautiful and people will give you compliments. So you do not have to be blonde and blue-eyed and um, look like somebody named Inga uh, to, to, to be popular. <laughs> <laughs> and what about um, the Swedish man in terms of what they're looking at when they're wanting to, I guess, halt the aging process or what's on vogue for them and how are you sort of approaching those patients? Um, the Swedish man is um, very much uh, into taking care of his appearance. And Swedish men are generally known for being very handsome. They take care of their bodies, their health. They are tall, which is a great plus for many, many women. Um, and um, when it comes to injectable treatments um, and facial aesthetics, it's once again skincare um, and Men get away with being a little bit more like rough around the edges and having a little bit more wrinkles. You you are lucky, guys. You have to. I have to tell you that. So I we do a lot of botox. Uh, sorry, toxin treatments. You can um, say botox if uh, that's what you use. For, okay, so anti wrinkle treatments is very popular with uh, our male patients because they want to look uh, young, but um, and fresh and like awake um, so so that's very popular and then we do a lot of structural work because what I've noticed with Scandinavian men is that they sometimes look a little bit boyish mm -hmm. so we work on strengthening the lower face so a lot of chin filler jawline filler and augmenting the lateral aspect of the face to give it more sharpy, like sh sharpness and a little bit more edge. And of course, always, I think this is universal, looking around the eyes. So we do a lot of, like not a lot, but uh, we do more and more, I would say, more and more tear trough corrections and mid-face corrections as well. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming um, Sweden would have Volux. In terms yes, of, they do. And I'm assuming that's the product you're probably using for those highly contoured, sharp jawlines? Yes, I do use Volux. We was, uh, we were, I was actually one of the first doctors here in Europe using Volux. So um, I was in, that was really fun to be part of that first group. And, um, and uh, it has great potential uh, when creating more masculine features for my, my male patients and i'm also a big fan of um radius mm. so i use more and more radius um, these days um because it's it's a strong product on, on the right patient it's a great great product too perfect now just uh, this is a really loose question i don't know if you can even answer this but how big is the cosmetic injectable market in sweden do you have any idea of market penetration or how many people are having injectables or, or is it growing how, how would you describe it this is an excellent question and the honest answer is i do not know <laughs> because in sweden we do not we do not uh, monitor it uh, you know Injectable treatments are performed by anybody. It can be performed by a hairdresser, a nail technician. Oh, right. Anybody can do injectable treatments. So there's no way that I can give you a proper uh, number. Mm -hmm. But what I've heard from, for instance, Allegan, is that they are telling us that approximately 6% of the population in, in Sweden, I think 
I might be wrong, but six, around 6% are getting injectable treatments. And it's definitely increasing just like all around the world. Uh, facial aesthetics is on and it's growing, growing in industry. Um, I think it increased by 20, almost 25% uh, just a few years ago. And um, yeah, so... On the rise. That's the call. On the rise, definitely. Well, yeah. I mean... Let me get this right. Sweden was the first uh, ever country to produce a filler. That was Restylane back yeah. in, I think it was like 2001 or something. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure the year, was, but um, it was early 2000s. And um, yes. so you presume that you were sort of the first market almost. Well, you presumably were. I, I guess you were. Well, when it comes to HA, hyaluronic acid-based fillers, yes. As you know, back in the 70s, there was a lot of other products, um, collagen and silicone like it, there's been other type of injectable treatments that were the precursors of ha so to speak yes um so so yes for for ha fillers sweden or qmed at the moment uh, now it's called derma yeah that's an american uh, they're owned by nestle uh, but um yeah so it's a big market and um, um restylane is a big brand here in the cosmetic world uh, they are um, associated with, um, like, they, they are the Rolls Royce of uh, facials. That's what they call themselves, at least. I, as you hear, I'm not working with <laughs> with that company. <laughs> but uh, I do use, I have used their products, and, uh, and I think it's good to be open to using different brands and knowing uh, like that they are different. Um, yeah. And so one would maybe expect that uh, injectable treatments is maybe even a bigger thing here compared to different like other countries. Is that correct? Or Yeah, it sounds like it from what you're saying. I mean, and this study was actually from 2013, but we think the market penetration is at least 8%. It may have got bigger since. Uh -huh. I, I would say it's closer to 10 here. So Australia is a very big... Uh, market wow. per capita. In fact, it's probably the biggest in the world mm -hmm. per capita. Um, whereas wow. somewhere like the UK, uh, I think it's lower than 6%. So you're, you're kind mm -hmm. of in the middle, but leading the way in Europe, probably. Oh, so I think that the, well, the biggest um, countries when it comes to facial injectable treatments are the big, like France, Spain, UK, of course, uh, like those countries on it, Germany, uh, those are very well known for injectable treatments. But um, I think it's definitely on the uprise and Sweden is the the biggest country in, in the Nordic, of the <laughs> Nordic countries. And we are leading the injectable um, league uh, definitely, when it comes compared to Finland, uh, mm. they have a more conservative approach uh, generally. Okay. Um, yeah. You mentioned that um, anyone can do injectables, which um, I know some people might say that's a little bit of a concern, but um, I'm not here to judge. But um, in terms of. Um, <laughs> it is, it is, but it, it's coming a change. It, yeah. it, it's soon, after 10 years of struggling with the changing the regulations, yeah. we are hopefully, hopefully this summer um, going to have a change so that only mm. doctors, nurses and dentists mm. are, are able to uh, administer injectable treatments. 
So it's a big year. It's not only post-COVID, hopefully, but <laughs> it's a big year for injectable treatments here in Sweden as well. Yeah. We're, we're going to when that happens, I'm going to celebrate for mm. sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want to try and make sure that there is a minimum standard of training and education and, and skill that's out there. Otherwise, you know, when things go wrong, it, it throws the whole industry in, into disrepute, and obviously, it's bad for patient safety. But um, absolutely. In terms of how injectors go about learning their their craft in Sweden, are there any sort of standardized training programs or schools that people can go to to sort of get like a base level of of training and education under their belt? I wish I could say yes, um, but uh, the the is the the cruel reality is that there's not. Mm. You can go to there's even practitioners having their own little academies uh, without being like proper teachers and they just have you, you you can shadow them for a day and then you get a fake certificate and mm. um, a piece of paper saying you are a certified injector and then you can have a go tomorrow so in sweden at the moment it's not regulated and the but we are trying to shape things up and there are a few big academies though and Uh, one of well, the two biggest is of course led by the um, uh, the industry. So uh, Allegan is well known for their amazing, amazing educational program, and then we have of course Galderma, which are also known for um, having like a program and big conferences and and also their parties mm-hmm. um, at these conferences. So yeah, so we are shaping it things up and I think I'm hopeful and really see that there will be a big change in the coming few years. Um, what's your ratio of men to women and in, in I guess at least your clinic you can't speak for everyone but who are you seeing? Um, at my clinic um, we have around 15% um, men and the rest women. So 15, um, one five? One five. Okay. One five. Um, Yeah, potentially even more. Potentially yeah. even more when it comes to the skin therapeutic um, treatments. Um, and we, I, since I introduced PRP for hair loss mm. um, and well, skin rejuvenation, I I also have seen an increase in in my male. Uh, patient um, uh, percentage. I think it helps having an attractive female doctor as well, don't you, David? I thought she was looking at me because I was bored. I, I thought you were directing that, that comment at me, man. <laughs> yeah, it's so strange, you know. No, but, no, but it's it's um, it helps if you are friendly and if you're. Um, and you know what? I I've noticed that a lot of male patients love. They love to come to a doctor, and they do their research. So they're not going to sit here. Uh, only because they think you're a little bit attractive or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they really like you for for your knowledge and your expertise. So that is, um, I will t- if you. I mean, I will take credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> I think in Australia it's still. I know in my clinics it's at least ninety percent, ninety five percent women to five percent men, which is still quite low. So maybe the men are more metrosexual in Sweden. They're more uh, image yeah. conscious. I think so too, and I think in general, Swedish people and Scandinavian people are very open and liberal and try to new. Like, look, they love to look after themselves, mm. so that helps a lot. And I actually talked to one of our friends, um, Dr. Raj, in the UK, and mm-hmm. he, uh, he, I think he mentioned, I, I can't, I might be wrong, but I think he mentioned about fifty percent being male. 
Wow. I can be wrong, but uh, and I think it's also because he he attracts that kind of man mm. that wants uh, him as a doctor, maybe, and um, so it, it might be injector dependent as well, like doctor or in, in, injector dependent uh, too. Fair so I'm, I'm working on the catching up uh, with Raj <laughs> numbers there. <laughs> now, I've got some um, sort of questions that I've got my currency converter out for. How much does it cost oh. you to buy, um, or should I say, how, mu- how much is a, a unit of Botox and then a unit of Dysport if you know off by heart or... For her to sell or to buy? To, well, firstly to buy and then also to sell to patients. Okay. Uh, so, um, Jake if likes I have asking a vial commercial and confidence questions. <laughs> I mainly use Vistabel. Yes, which is Botox in, <laughs> so I, in our sorry, language. I didn't, I didn't catch that. Sorry, David was just taking taking the, the piss out of me, don't worry. Yeah, I was just saying it's funny. He's asking he's asking you what deal you've got with Allegan. I thought that well, was quite well, I don't cheap. mean Eman, I mean the average sweet <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean Eman. I mean you know, loose. Oh, they, they give it they so give tell it me, to what me deal for have you free, got? actually. What do you, what did you expect? <laughs> no. What do no, you earn a month, Eman? Uh, no. So What's your credit rating? Yeah, generally. <laughs> um Generally, a vial of of Botox, mm-hmm. or oh, sorry, of Vistabel, is around um, nine hundred kronas. And is that fifty units or a hundred? Fifty. Interesting. Okay, so fifty units is one hundred and forty-one Oz dollars. That's damn cheap. Can you send us some uh, send us some stuff <laughs> in the <laughs> mail, Ivani? <laughs> <laughs> And this is the like the the listing price. This is the list price that they have. So you will get a discount wow. if you are a successful business for sure. Okay, I'm we'll, definitely moving to Sweden. Yeah, we'll say Iman sent us. <laughs> Iman said you'd give us a deal. Bring it on. <laughs> I want the discount. I will. I will. I will give you. I'll give you a call later. Then. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, and when I'm selling this to a patient, uh, I mean it's actually not per unit. We are doing it per area. Right. Interesting. Okay. Fifty. So fifty units will last you for uh, easily two areas, not three, but two areas for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, a treatment um, at my clinic is four thousand kronas for two areas. Okay, I'm working this out. Um, that is a good profit margin iman well done <laughs> 629 australian dollars or uh, around 490 us dollars so that's that's wow. good i'm definitely moving to sweden have you got a spare room iman <laughs> of course i can i can make one up for you <laughs> no, so so this well, the average pricing is as as I mentioned, since it's unregulated market, uh, we see hairdressers. There's actually one hairdresser in my hometown. I'm not going to do any. Ad- she has an academy oh, wow. for injectable treatments, and at her place, you can get Botox for half the price, or even a third of the price. Right. Of course, and then there are exclusive, exclusive. Uh, clinics uh, who have even higher prices than than i do yeah yeah so fair enough. it's it's so you, you can pick and choose your own price price range okay and i didn't ask you which other toxins are available of course disport but do you have zeomin yes we do and anything so we else have, uh, uh, no that that's the ones we have i've had one patient she mentioned that she actually got toxins um by 
uh, by some someone gave it to her and she reacted extremely like she had an, a severe allergic reaction to it and it um and she said to me that it was not one of the the normal brands right. it was actually a chinese copy she said oh like um, manufacturer so so that was severe but the the ones that are out, out on the market that we can purchase yeah, from the pharmacy is uh, the big brands the three big brands as you mentioned it's probably not something you want to get a chinese copy of it's not like buying a fake louis vuitton handbag you don't want <laughs> you know you don't want to inject it with, with fake botox <laughs> i might no, fall out you if... should not fake this <laughs> that's a stupid idea <laughs> Um, okay, let's move on to um, fillers. So if we're going to talk about a thick sort of standard filler like Voluma or Restylane Lift or Ultra Deep from the Tioxane range, what, what would that cost you a mil? Um, without taxes, um, the list price that they have, like for instance, for uh, the, the one of the most expensive brands is of course Juvederm. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to purchase Volux, uh, that will cost you around... Um, one syringe costs 1500 without tax. Okay, let's look at that. Uh, $236. That's actually a lot cheaper than Australia, to be completely Isn't honest. It? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the other brands? Do you have any idea what they cost? Are they slightly cheaper? They are cheaper. Uh, and you will get a wrestling lift for around, like roughly um, around 1200 Okay, and that is uh, around 188 Australian dollars or 150 American dollars. So, yeah, I think you're saying that it's much more affordable for a, a doctor to obviously buy a product, which is great. But it looks like yeah. your your actual sale price is is you know similar. Yeah, you're making too much money, Iman. You're making too much money. When Jake and I want to come to Sweden, I think you're buying our tickets out there first class. Thank you very much. Say that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it's the it's actually one also very interesting phenomenon that I have. I have clients coming in from different parts of the world too. And one of my um, patients, she is, uh, she lives in LA mm. and she went one day, she went straight from the airport. Like she flew all the way from LA to uh, Arlanda, Sweden, uh, in Stockholm. And then she took uh, the two hour car drive to my clinic and had her injectable like i did a full face treatment and botox everywhere you know everything <laughs> and she said wow i'm really saving money now yeah. i'm like wow <laughs> yeah well um as older was telling us she has patients flying from europe to see her in south africa for treatment because it's more cost effective i couldn't wow. believe it from wow. where from europe, from europe. I, I, how much treatment are they getting done uh who knows <laughs> but um wow. wow i did not know that i don't think that they'd is... be uh following the one to 1.68 lip ratio um, <laughs> <laughs> i've no idea but uh, wow, interesting that, that's me. fascinating so and would you say do you know where the fillers and like injectable treatments are most like less profit- profitable for injectors uh, do you mean a country or yeah a country like where is it most expensive to buy usa to purchase the filler uh-huh. Yeah. Well, 
this is anecdotal. I actually don't know that, but uh, we had Subio on, sort of used him as an example, which is why I'm asking these questions. And he was bemoaning the fact that um, at least some companies were very, very expensive for the doctors to buy product. Mm -hmm. And so he felt constrained into how many mills he could actually physically use, even if a patient needed lots. Mm -hmm. um, and so, ah. yeah, that, that, that was a difficult thing. And I remember we had David Mabry on. Mm -hmm. He's a plastic surgeon mm -hmm. from S yeah. uh, San Francisco. And yeah, I mean, he's yeah. an ENT actually. Uh, I think he's an ENT. Beg your pardon if you are yeah, an ENT. Sorry, think, David. Yeah, so. you're right actually. Yeah. But um, mm -hmm. he, you know, his, his sale price was very impressive. I can't remember it was in sort of the thousands of dollars, um, mm -hmm. because the cost price was so much. Wow. And of course, he's skilled as well. I was thinking maybe Subio offended yeah. them with an Instagram story and they charged him more. <laughs> <laughs> he's pretty savage. <laughs> he's savage, but he's funny. Yeah. He is. He is. Um, <laughs> What about Belkyra? Because I know you guys have Belkyra. Many countries don't. But what can you buy and sell that for? That's That would be an interesting question. Belkyra is uh, considered to be quite expensive treatment. Yeah. And uh, one vial, that's two mLs, right? Yeah. Uh, one vial is, uh, you can you buy that for 2,500 Swedish krona. 2,000. 500 krona. I think it's actually a little bit more. I think it's a little bit more, but around 2,500 Swedish krona. Uh, that is, so I'm going to times, yeah, that, that's actually similar. In fact, almost the same, it's actually bang on the same as Australia. So it's about yeah. just under $400 a vial and you get four vials in a box and you scale that up. It's about the same as here. Yeah. And so, so the profit there is not very attractive for many patients, uh, sorry, for many clinics. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm actually like, it, it's a great product, but I don't like it. Why? <laughs> Tell me that more. Much. Um, why? Because the, the side effects uh, are a little bit scary and um, like the, 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 the healing time is also pretty long compared to many other inject, uh, injectable treatments. And the the advantages of having a, somebody like swollen for two weeks or three weeks or even had one for five weeks. Um, you know and what you want to do with those patients? Two months. You want to tell you, what you want to say to those patients is this is yeah. great. Your fat melting process is continuing. You're going to get a better result. Because yeah. that's true. That's what's I happening. I do that. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and I I understand that. But it's just that I I think it's much easier process if they have a considerable amount of fat in that region. Just get liposuction if you are open to the to the idea of getting that, because you will have more dramatic effect, and it costs the same as two or three, sorry as three sessions of Belkyra. Yeah, I mean, really, it comes down to before you've even started your treatment process. Do you want surgery? Yes or no? If the answer is no, then fine. We're going to embark on a Belkyra journey or cool sculpting or something yeah. else. So, yeah, but I agree. You know, it, 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 it's more downtime than your average filler or Botox for sure. I know it's a great product. It does work, uh, but yeah, I'm not 100 convinced yet. But mm. maybe you can convince me, Jake. Belkyra is my baby. Like you're the Belkyra guy. I, I do like my Belkyra, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to my guns here, and we'll we'll, we'll have a WhatsApp chat after. Um, yeah, what about things good. like um, lifting threads and mono threads in terms of um, the popularity? And do you offer them in your in your clinics? So they seem to be a bit of a, a fad here, or not fad, but trend. They're on trend at the moment here in Australia. Um, 
Threads was, they, they were a huge, huge deal a few years ago. They actually, we had started having the first wave of Threads uh, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. and then um, they were more more permanent Threads, oh, right? The silhouette sort of style? Um, that, sorry? The, the silhouette kind of Threads, the ones with the barbs in them? The, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, not the, those ones. More of like gold right. threads and like okay. more permanent threads. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then uh, we um, just maybe like five or no, not, not more, more than five years ago, we had a big wave of threads again. And those were the PDO threads mm-hmm. um, were mo- that was mostly popular. And I offer, and I had them at my clinic for about three years' time, and I did a lot of trainings and workshops with the most skilled doctors and plastic surgeons in in Europe. But um, what I noticed was that we had amazing, amazing results um, initially for two months. But these results, yeah, two <laughs> months, three months, six months—that was fine. But then, after a few months' time and or over half a year the results was not lasting. They, they were not lasting. And um, so I can actually say on one hand how many satisfied patients I had. And when you're offering that kind of procedure, you want to be 100% confident that they will last, they will give you good results and like a good return of investment for the patient too. And I cannot wholeheartedly say that they did so. So I actually had them, I, I, I stopped offering that service interesting yeah i mean you know i I don't have the experience i've never used the lifting threads i've had a play with the mono threads and i i I definitely see some niche treatments and and benefits of of doing them in the right quantity i know david's going to volunteer his face in a few days to have about 100 thrown in his face (laughs) um but uh yeah yeah. like you said i've I've heard a lot of poor feedback not just from patients but from doctors who are highly skilled people who i trust and you know i take what you're saying and, and that's really my position on the lifting threads and you know i've i've talked to doctors who are who love their threads they do threads on every area i mean all over the body even and they are super happy but i would like to see the 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 percentage of happy patients. I yeah. mean, how many patients are happy? Uh, it's one thing. I I, I love doing the threads. It felt a little bit like semi-surgical. Mm-hmm. I felt like a real doctor, <laughs> uh, not only injectables. No, but but so it was a nice addition. Uh, and as I said, initially great results, very nice results. But um, maybe in the future. And I will be more open to reintroducing them. But at the moment, we do have a variety of threads, but I'm not sure that they are good enough. So I had some business questions that I wanted to ask you. We've sort of gone through quite a few of them, but I guess just to sort of circle back to what you were saying at the beginning of the podcast in terms of the challenges of setting up your own practice. You were talking about the fact that when you started your own practice back in 2011, it was a, it was a bumpy ride. It was, you know, a difficult road, You're obviously very successful now, but I guess, you know, people okay. listening to this okay. might be um, starting their own practice. They might be solo injectors. You know, I think yeah, that okay. everyone yeah. has these, these challenging periods when they're starting a business. So I'm just um, yeah. curious to so, get, yeah. Okay, perfect. I understand. So my, I started doing injectable treatments as a hobby mm-hmm. and it was just a side side business um besides my work at the hospital as an anesthesiologist and um 
what I what I did, I, I was solo. I was renting a small room in a very small clinic, having like trying to use my my network of friends to promote myself. And I was on every type of um, like if there was an event at a gym or an, an event at a nightclub, I was there. I was promoting. <laughs> I was like having my flyers all over the place and uh, like trying to make myself um, known in my little hometown. And um, gradually this kind of started to build up and I reached a point when um, it was actually not many years ago where I decided that, okay, so I want to do, I want to do become a really good doctor at what I do. And I have to decide if I want to be at the hospital or if I want to, to do aesthetics. And um, I was a bit very scared because becoming an aesthetic doctor meant that I had to leave the comfort and the familiarity of being at the hospital, being part of a big family there, and like throwing myself out in the world, becoming an entrepreneur or becoming a business owner and having to work potentially like probably more than I did as a hospital doctor. Um, but I decided to do this um, years ago, and I've, I'm so happy that I, I could do that. But I struggled, and I just used every like platform I could use. I was on the newspapers. I was on interviews. I, I did stuff for free, and I discounted my, my treatments because I wanted more patients to come to like get to know me and like get hooked (laughs) basically. And um, yeah, so it was a long, long journey. And I kind of, um, I came in contact with a uh, key account manager at Allegan and they noticed my drive. And thankfully, I think that was like one of the, uh, like what do you call, Uh, one of the factors that really pushed me even further because then I, a new world kind of opened up for me because I realized that there's a big family in this field too. Yeah. So um, I can get to know a lot of interesting people. I can go on this interesting lectures and I can even one day become a lecturer myself. So I just played around with these thoughts and it was very, very like long, like uh, far away for me at that point. But like working hard every day and working smart, not necessarily hard, but well, yeah, hard too, but working hard and strategically just uh, always prioritizing quality. And so I, I decided to like ditch uh, discounts and try to focus on quality and uh, making a name for myself. Um, and And it actually helped me to, like my my appearance actually helped me in a way because I was standing out mm-hmm. um, I was not blonde. I was not um, white. Notice me in a way. So in one way I can say, I tried to use my disadvantages uh, to my advantages. Mm. And so today I am really happy that I was courageous enough to do, to do like try to make a name for myself back in the days. And yeah. Yeah. I think, um, Everyone loves the idea of being a successful, popular, well-known injector. It looks like a very glamorous life, and I'm sure I'm sure that it is to a certain extent. But um, 
it's easy to see the end result of where you're at now and, and not take into account or consider the amount of hard work, the amount of hustle, the, the quiet days, not having any patience, having to go that extra step. Which So it's really nice to hear that story from someone like yourself because I think it's a good, I wouldn't say a reality check, but it just gives people that motivation who maybe are out there and starting their practices and say there is light at the end of the tunnel if, if you hustle and you work hard and, and you, you, know, you do the right things consistently on a daily basis. As you mentioned, David, like everybody on Insta, like if you follow me on Instagram, that everything is so easy for me, but it's really not. And it has a, a price. And the price is long working hours, uh, actually much, much more than you would expect. And I mean, I'm a mother of, of three as well. And uh, I also run other businesses. Uh, so it's not only injectables that I'm doing uh, on my awake time. So I do have other things going on as well. And the price that I I'm not seeing my my family as much and not seeing my my friends as much. I'm I'm a lousy friend sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, like there's a lot of things that that uh, people do not see and I work from the time I wake up until late at night and it doesn't matter if it's a Sunday or if it's a Monday. I'm I'm working a lot <laughs> because I love what I do, of course. I'm passionate about it. Yeah. Um, even with us, with the podcast here, I think people sit sit listening to a podcast and say, oh, do you know, they're just sitting there having a chat, but they don't realize the amount of time, planning, equipment, technical failures, yeah. tracing guests, exactly. especially when you're starting getting people who've never heard of you before to sit down and talk to you and, and give you their time. So, yeah, I yeah. think it's, it's a, it's a, it's an issue. I think globally, when you see things yeah, um, on the outside look easy, no, and really totally not. agree. And and I Did didn't you, realize how similar think, our stories were, Aman. So it's really nice to hear sort of your humble beginnings and 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 sort of basically hard work and passion um, were the keys to your success. I mean, I reached out to you. I couldn't tell you now, at least three, maybe even four years ago through a random message on Instagram. Yeah, I remember that. (laughs) Yeah, and I noticed that you were um, being mentored by Maurizio at that time. Um, And and here we are, I'm being mentored as a result of partly some of your mentoring to me um, and, and good advice. Oh, that's, that's very generous of you to say, Jake. <laughs> well, no, it's true. You know, you know, you get good advice from everyone. Um, you've become a good friend. We, sp- we speak frequently. And I, I think, you know, when injectors can share ideas rather than sort of constantly see each other as competition, um, it's going to be better for the, for the industry as a whole. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, we're pulling in the right direction. You guys obviously doing good things there with, um, with the law and regulation. And hopefully that filters through by region, by continent and, and globally, because we're in a bit of a mess at the moment. Um, there is no global syllabus, let alone national syllabus. We are. So, yeah. So just to finish on a very open kind of interesting question, That's what's true. the future That's of injectables true. in the next five or 10 years? I hope that we will see more like enhancement of so we will see less blown up faces and pillow faces and all of that thing and uh, i think we will look at more i I mean i think you you jake you, you know that there's theories about like masks that you will put on your face that will inject you with a perfect amount of fillers and toxins and we injectable uh, we injectors will be well, l- we'll no longer needed 
Um, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> you can have a monkey doing that. <laughs> no, so uh, I hope that is not uh, the future, really, I because I really love to see the my patients and give them... It's not about, like, delivering injectable treatments, right? You want the connection with people and share ideas and share energies and um, inspire each other. So I, I hope that we will um, we will have more natural looking faces, embracing a diversity of beauty and uh, perhaps having even safer uh, products, maybe potentially even longer lasting products and having like more safety measures um, to give our patients and yeah, um, potentially accepting our beauty uh, as it is to a greater extent. That's a, a fascinating thought to end on. We hugely appreciate your time. It's been a really, really interesting chat, um, probably more so than I anticipated originally when we planned this. Um, so thank you so mm. much. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. I really enjoyed my time with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And thank stay you, safe in uh, Europe. I hope so too. Thanks, Simone. Enjoy your day, guys. See you later. Thank you. Bye. See you later. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests. 